Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Four yeah. minutes. Just talking about the sunk cost fallacy, which is, for those of you who don't know, when you do so much work or you put so much money into something or even as far as like relationships, right? You pour into people, things, whatever. And then, well, I can't give up now or I can't stop now because mm-hmm. I put in so much. And it's like when you sit down and look at things, do I want to be doing this in the next five years, three years, one year? This <laughs> is right. Now, if it's part of a grand plan and so forth and so on, you may have to pivot, pivot as far as this may be the path, but this might not be the thing or the person or whatever. But I ran the numbers for the products and the people I've hired and the additional support and all the branding and all the Mm. everything I did. Several of tens of thousands of dollars. And I'm not like a super rich person or anything like that, but it's like, that was hard to say, I'm not doing this right now. (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) It is not that like, I can't move forward. It's just that I've chosen not to, because it's just not aligning with what I want to do right now. Um, And I still actually have people who are clients and paid and have everything else and they're happy and all that. So if someone wants to be like, oh, can you help me do this, do that? Th- there are more hands off things that I can give you that's already mm. done and still have access to the platform and everything else like that. But as far as running ads, doing influencer marketing, doing this, mm. doing that, I'm not doing it. And I had to, I found myself talking myself into doing it more and more and it's like when you have to talk yourself into doing anything minus eating kale and going to the gym <laughs> it's like you probably shouldn't be doing it yeah this is a great one so for context thanks for coming on the show michelle we're excited to have michelle bassett on the show she's just been a force in the marketing space she's done so many things including starting her own business i think branding yourself as the purple unicorn right i yes, think this, yes. is, this is love it it's great um, a lot of data science a lot of governance engineering and just a lot of uh, entrepreneurship and product itself and she has started her own business called bizcore and then has now decided i believe uh, uh to you know wind it down which is also very hard I've, I've been a part of that experience and correct me if that's in- incorrect but, yeah. No, it's it's fairly accurate. For those of you who are like, oh, she's not a business owner. She doesn't, I actually have a business. And in the word of Jay-Z, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. I also do a lot of consulting as well. So the consulting is still going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of the other marketing things are going on. All that stuff is still going on. It's just the lower ranking entrepreneurial I'm going to help you discover and build your business from scratch thing. Mm. It's just not being launched right now for this quarter. And this is something odd about me. People find it odd about me. I think it's regular. But because I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. I pretty much treat myself like a business. So I have a, I have a board of Michelle. So it is comprised of my best friend who does nothing and talks to me to doing the worst things possible. My financial <laughs> advisor who doesn't let me do anything and you know, a third party person. Right. And so we meet, we, we physically meet once a year, which is typically a vacation mm. for tax write-off purposes. But every quarter we cap out, here's what, what your goals are. Here's what you said you wanted to do. Here's this. Mm. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why, how does this impact this? And I own 51% of me, (laughs) right? So when I vote, I typically have the final vote. But my best friend who knows my heart, my financial advisor who knows my wallet, (laughs) and and the third party who's like workout relationship guy, he kind of knows other stuff just to see, do do I have the mental bandwidth to Mm. do this? Do I have the focus to do this? Can I pour into these other people right now? And so that's his job. But so that's my ball <laughs> that, that tells me what to do. 
pretty much. <laughs> um, so you all, you all came to this kind of annual meeting. You took a look <laughs> at things. Great opportunity to reflect and like, see what is working, what's not, and mm-hmm. what do we want to change, what's working well. Um, so you had this conversation, and one of the things that um, you initially had talked to me about now, the path changed, right? Do mm-hmm. you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. If we touch on my story a little bit, one of the things that was instilled in me by my grandmother was I was raised by my grandmother because I was in foster care, but I was in home foster. It's a whole, it's a whole story. But one of the things that she tried to instill in me that I gratefully rebelled on was because she was born in the 40s. It was a whole different generation. And, And that generation, when you got a, you stayed at that job for 40, 50 years, and that is what you did for the rest of your life. When I was young, I wanted to be a little bit of everything. Like I, when people ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like 50 different random, like whatever's yeah. at the top of my, at one point I wanted to be a bodybuilder. What? <laughs> what was that? It was an odd phase around 10 years old. But when I was, so I was able to graduate when I was 16 years old. I didn't for reasons. But when I was 15, 16 years old, I'm going into college. It's like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? You, you don't have to raise your hand to ask to go to the bathroom anymore. What do you want to be when you grow up? You need to know now. And that was a very daunting task. Needless to say, I wound up going to Savannah State. I got a bachelor's degree in behavior analysis. I also have an accidental bachelor's degree in computer science. I started out in biology. <laughs> So that tells you how well I ad- adhered to my my grandmother's sound advice of pick one thing and stick with it. So again, bachelor's degree in behavior analysis, master's degree in internet marketing, postgraduate certifications in data science, and now our artificial intelligence is happening right now. And the thing is that I'm always okay to pivot. Mm. When I was in like actually working for agencies and companies, just doing marketing like that was it i hit that pay ceiling and people were like sending things offshore and now you got to compete with people who are making two dollars and fifty cents an hour and you're like no i need at least seventy dollars an hour whatever i was making that i don't remember seventy thousand dollars a year not seventy dollars an hour now that's money (laughs) (laughs) but but it's just like that became more complicated more, more difficult and because of that behavior analysis background I was used to looking at numbers and stats and seeing the process of a funnel, right? And so a funnel is nothing but a set of behaviors that you want to reinforce throughout the funnel, right? L- looking at the numbers of those funnels, my, my marketing campaigns always had a higher conversion rate because I understood something that I thought everybody else knew. And then I find out later that it's called conversion rate optimization and it's a part of data science. Do you remember the yellow pages? No big, thick phone book. So back in the olden times, they had a digital marketing department. So when you put your business in the big, thick phone book, you got a a landing page and a little microsite Mm. and everything else. So for the people in South Florida, Broadward had those businesses. And so me and my team is about 2,000, 3,000 different companies because it's all, it's mostly South Florida. Everyone's like, why are these companies doing so much better than mm. the portfolio? And then I was like, oh, it's me, duh. Um, but they're like, no, it's not. And then so they wound up moving me temporarily to like Texas, where it's like half of Mexico. Mm. And they're like, you can't do anything with this. And it's like a month later, <laughs> <laughs> I did it. And <laughs> look at it. Yeah. And so I got confidence there. And no, once I found out, specific? I feel like the one thing we haven't brought up yet is um, you brought up you have ADHD and dyslexia, which yes. which I do as well. We share this, yes. and one of the things with that is is pattern matching, especially with like big data with yes. you know, conversion rates and all this. So I wonder, did anything like that in particular stick mm-hmm. out to you as influencing that? What mm-hmm. what in particular did you do to enhance this conversion rate? There were a few things, but everything is templatized and I'll mm. explain that. Okay. So going back to just Florida, right? So Texas is a whole nother can of worms and I had to learn Spanish. It was the whole thing. But but the main thing about 
PPC or pay pay-per-click campaigns. I was about to say PPC. Uh pay-per-click campaigns. You have your headline. It is this was back in 20 when I worked there, 2014 to 2017. Mm. So that's way back in the days, right? The olden days. TVs were black and white, right? So all you had was the headline, the description, and I think the little links at the bottom came towards the end of that journey. So you didn't really have much. Uh, you, you also had the landing page. So the page that they actually came in, it was quality score, keyword, uh, the whole thing, right? So when it came to rankings was n- number one. So how do you get your ad to that first position? Right. Um, and th- th- this was before all the programmatic stuff and all the AI and all the like, this is like 50 people in cubicles just trying to make this work. Right. This, this was real people doing this. My number one priority was I need eyeballs. So how many impressions is this ad getting? Then after that, so changing the quality score. So the stuff that Google looks at to say, okay, I'm going to rank this. Um, and some of that was what was narrowing down the geo-targeting for it. Because again, we had a very small amount of leverage to actually pull. So it was the keywords, the geo-targeting, and the quality score. Not just keywords, but the length of the page, the, the images, the alt text. All that jazz, the phone number at the top, address at the bottom, mm. map, <laughs> all that Google stuff to say Google and Bing, Google mostly Bing. Hey, <laughs> please rank me number one for these keywords, right? Then when the people got to the site, that was when my genius brain kicked in and that was slightly sarcastic but i'm gonna take credit for that it was (laughs) looking at the numbers now most marketers especially in that type i don't want to say factory but that the conveyor belt type process they were scared to look at the numbers like we would show them excel sheets printed out and they would like act act like it was like an exorcism or something it was crazy it's like why are you scared of numbers what's going on but i looked at the numbers number one And then I looked at the people that were actually coming to the website. And Mm. then I got to see time on page and engagement. And if certain keywords, because it was Google Console at the time could show you the the keywords and everything else. Using Google Console, I, I could see, okay, this keyword brought in these people who had no engagement. So I'm not using this keyword anymore. On Tuesdays for this particular plumber, I think he was a plumber or a, or like an HVAC guy. Tuesdays, he had trash conversions. Just turn off his stuff on Tuesdays, right? So it's, it seems simple because it was, but it's not mm. simple if you're not looking for it. Oh, so it's just those basic common sense things. I'm saying common sense, not condescendingly, but if you see Tuesdays, is it bringing in People, don't spend money. <coughs> if you see Tuesdays, okay. is it bringing in people? Then don't spend money on Tuesdays or Monday night. Right. Yeah. If Fridays... You're connecting the analysis yeah. to this optimization and the strategy. And I feel like what you're saying and what you said with the marketers is a lot of folks would just look at the data or maybe just you know, set it and forget it almost. wish right they're just like does it work does it work oh, no it doesn't work or it does they don't go any deeper than that and it sounds like your natural curiosity is yes. kind of kicking in there in addition to your skill set to say why is it working in this particular instance why is it working on tuesdays or not and then go yeah. deeper deeper and then actually use that curiosity to drive a conversion rate or drive a goal or a metric for your clients right yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's the same thing as far as the whole path thing that we were talking about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. When you pivot, um, especially the older you get, and I'm finding this out now, the older you get, the harder it is to pivot, not because change is daunting. It's because the risk of failure goes up. And at the time, I was much younger because, again, TV wasn't in, in black and white. 
But but at that point, you know, of course I cared. Like I didn't want to be fired. It was okay to fail because the bar was already set so low. <laughs> it was like, mm. all right, I guess I'm going to turn this off because he keeps calling me, yelling at me. <laughs> and so it was one of those things where, especially when you're running campaign for on a smaller budget, because these budgets were probably four or $500 a month. I think my biggest one was probably $1,500. When you're running budgets that are so small, I said, oh, I can't mess up. I can't do this. I can't do that. Mm. And it's like, you can It'll be okay. <laughs> like, it'll be okay. Because if you pivot and it works out, then you save the customer so much money over the year. If you mm, pivot yeah. and it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out for a week. You're not going to blow the whole budget. Hopefully, don't. <laughs> You're not going to blow the whole month's budget with one bad mar marketing campaign for a week. Set it. It sounds don't like forget you're. It. Right. <laughs> it sounds like you have that vision in mind of where you want this thing to go. You get going on it and then you make these smaller tweaks and pivots. You're basically experimenting on mm -hmm. what works and what doesn't on a frequent enough basis that you're still driving towards your core goal. That's and, exactly what it is. Yeah. And you're not like pausing or just letting it go, letting it ride. It's you're you're constantly making um tweaks and adjustments so that you're on the path. Yeah, I was talking to talking to someone yesterday actually, and he didn't know what I did, <laughs> right? And so it was like, oh yeah, you must it must be so creative and, and innovating process and this that and the third. And I was like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> and he was like, what? the marketing campaigns and this it's not it's pretty much all the same for everybody right but for me and this is gonna sound really really bad and people are gonna want to stop giving me money but hear me <laughs> out so everyone starts the same right every campaign whether it's a mom and pop shop or ibm right <clears throat> everyone starts out with the same. Now there's certain recipes that kind of pull down. Okay, are we doing a Facebook? Are we doing a branding mm. campaign? Are we doing video? Are we doing so? The, so there's like certain recipes and buckets and strategies that kind of go along with the whole big picture, right? But for the most part, the plan, the foundation, is the same. And for those of you wondering. It all starts with setting data nets. If you hear someone else say data nets, they stole it from me and they're liars because it's mine. Okay. So oh, please I tell just, us what is data net? Oh, okay. So a data net is, right? Um, imagine you're fishing and you're out there and where fish are. I don't know where fish live. Rivers, fish are in rivers, right? And so they cast a net, a net or a fishing rod. See, a fishing rod, you get one or two. A net, you get all the fish in my mind. I've never been fishing. I don't know how fish work, but yeah, I made up this term. That's good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm going to throw out the net and then you get all the fish. So if you think mm. of fish as data, right? Mm. The bigger the net, the better the net, the stronger the net, the more data and fish you get, right? So I use Google Tag Manager and Google Analytics. Those are the two things I use. GA4 has been the bane of my existence. We're not talking about that. It's fine, okay? Ah. <clears throat> so I go into Tag Manager and I set my Facebook pixel and my ad roll pixel and tags and this and the make sure GA4 is set up properly. So I'm making sure that the net is strong enough to get all the data that, that, that comes through. And what a lot of marketers do is say, okay, oh, the homepage has tag manager on it or analytics on it, but then you go out and you go to HubSpot or Marketo or ClickFunnels or something else, and mm. you build a funnel over there and there's no data coming through. You're spending 10, mm. $20, $30,000 on this campaign and it's going to a Marketo site <laughs> and you don't know if your ads are working or not because you don't have any analytics tied to your checkout page which is on your main site. That's where the foundation starts. And then whatever plan, strategy, recipe, marketing analytics that we come up with, that is the vanilla initial foundation, right? So you can that, you get all the data. K 
cast the net, set the foundation, and then and only then do we look at the data and tweak, right? So we got the data net together. We got the foundation going on. Then once traffic starts coming in, we can do a small trickle first to make sure that the data net's actually working and someone didn't accidentally turn off a, mm. a GDPR <laughs> and enhance mm. thing or something. And then once we see it, it, it works, then we flood, oh, open up the floodgates. This analogy is getting very bad very quickly. But then okay. we see everything that's coming through and then we mm. tweak. Then we play around with lines. Mm. Then we play around with colors, button schemes, call the action. And go from there. For videos, it's a little bit more cumbersome. So we might have to change the audience or change the offer mm. at the end or whatever else. But it's pretty much all the same. Yeah. So I wonder with Google and the you know, the cookie-less future that they're envisioning here, taking action on it actually like this week, how do you see some of that data casting changing? Mm -hmm. So with the Google stuff and even the Adobe Lens stuff, right? It's not that it's going away. It's that they're putting it behind a paywall. So it's not going anywhere. It's just being put somewhere else. So all the information will still be there because that's how Google's profitability is set up for this year and beyond. I don't know if you ever used Data Studio and now it's Looker Studio. Even the way that the stuff from GA, Ford, or UA, whatever your account setup is. Right? there's They're just like buffers and sampling and, you know, that they're not pulling in all the data anymore unless you're on a 360 account, which is a $250,000 you know, payment mm. a year. Um, everything's there. They're just taking access away and calling it something else. Interesting. So same process, tweaked a little bit. Yeah. More expensive. Exactly. And if you don't want if you don't have the $250,000 because your company just isn't that big or mm. whatever, <clears throat> you can use the insights. What's it on Google? On Google, it's called Performance Max. So Google has Performance Max for, for that ads. AdRoll has their own little thing. And Facebook has their own little enhanced Thing now. And so you can just utilize their programmatic stuff that's already there. Um, I don't want to call it AI because it's not quite AI, but it gets the job done. <laughs> it's... So we're, we've been talking a lot about more digital marketing, kind of specific campaigns, media campaigns for businesses and conversions. And I want to build some analogies or some tie this back to uh, product and building products and uh, about building businesses as well. So we, we talked about was you know, casting that data net, setting the foundation mm -hmm. and making these small tweaks to optimize an end result yeah. for a business. And it's very similar to you know, product strategy, product vision, it, it, how you should think same. of this it's, stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Different, uh, different media. And so talking about this. Yeah. Go ahead. I lean when it comes to products, most people, most companies who have products teams are nine times out of 10 on agile. Um, and so some of the stuff that we we're talking about earlier, as far as pivoting and things like that. And I, I was a little sad when I was talking about pivoting, but at the end of the day, um, if something's not working, let it go. Yeah. Um, and so I've been in product meetings where we've been talking about the same thing that didn't work for three years. Stop. Mm. <laughs> Just stop it. Yeah. Please. <laughs> And the way you do that is with centralized data. Because mm -hmm. what happens is that you have Bob who is who feels like his job is tied to the success of this product. Firstly, mm -hmm. if you are the CMO or CT, whatever, and your product people feel like if this doesn't work, they get fired. That's a cultural problem and mm -hmm. you need to fix that. But if Bob feels like that this product not working is tied to his career and he's going to fail, and, uh, mm. he's going to go into Adobe or Google or Tableau or wherever the, the data sits. And if he's allowed to pull numbers himself, he's going to pull numbers that tell a certain story. <laughs> it is not disingenuous. It's biased by necessity. 
So if you don't have a data team or a data lake or something else like that, where it's like everyone has access to the same numbers, pulled the same way with the same mm. understandings, numbers are just numbers. The story that's told behind the numbers will continue or discontinue features. And that doesn't mean that the whole product is bad or anything else. It just means, hey, right. we might need to leave this feature. We might need to do this. We mm. might need to do that. But I'm a big proponent of centralized governed data. I might be biased on that. But. <laughs> yeah, no. So democratizing that data for the rest of the business to see, hey, we have access. We can pull information. But then that governance is keeping thing. What this person's seeing is the same as what the other person's seeing. Yes. You're, you're kind of, you don't want to yeah, pull it in a wrong way to tell yeah. a different story. Excuse me. And the thing is that data does leave room for opinion. But it, I'm not going to say, but it shouldn't. Data leaves room for opinion, but the opinion has to be supported by the data. It's a very weird cycle. Yeah. And I'm not sure that yeah. I even explained that properly. Well, but, it, like, it doesn't tell you why things happened. It tells you what happened. And so you can look into it and say, we see this behavior change. We see, like what you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. Tuesday for some reason is not converting. We don't know why yet. And then that's where the qualitative exercise goes through. We can have opinions on why. Yeah. And then you're saying, go further, maybe do run experimentations on the why to uncover that thing to then back up the intuit right, or strength. And sometimes the why, depending on what company you're at, is too expensive to find out. It just doesn't yeah. work. Sometimes it doesn't work. It's not work. worth it. Yeah. And then to make an analogy out of that, we're kind of leaving the holiday season. I don't want to dare uh, your podcast here. But if we have Elf on the shelf, right? And hopefully there's no young listeners here. But if there's kids, leave immediately. Yeah. There's, there's elf on the shelf, right? Every night it moves. Kids wake up. They're like, oh, the elf moved. It went to go tell Santa mm. and all this other stuff. And that is what they saw. They saw the elf mm. move. It's in a weird, funny position. I wrote it a note about cleaning its room or whatever else, right? The kids said that. That is real to the kids. You, adult, <laughs> you have another set of data. You have other data that the kid mm. doesn't have access to. And so your story is going to be way different than the kid's story. And so having that centralized data where everybody can see everything, but then for the purpose of kind of reporting and everything else, it's Bob is pulling it to make his report, but then there's mm. also someone, I don't want to say adult, but someone who has more data and more information. That's, I don't know if those two things go together. <laughs> mm. So that the VPs and the CTs and Ms and whatever, right? <laughs> They're not being like, oh, this elf is magical. We need to put this on Broadway or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, you, you want to make sure that everybody has enough information to be dangerous, but not to burn down the hmm. company. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I like that. Tell me about, let's shift a little bit. I want to mm -hmm. hear more about your journey. So I think we left off at you kind of getting a degree in, in multi types of degrees that you ended up with, which is similar story here. I think I started as like a biochemist or something mm -hmm. and then did a year of computer science and then went to communication studies. So I went all over the place. I, I feel you. I feel like we're very similar. We're very similar. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I was there. I did that. Absolutely. Yeah. But tell me more. Yeah. After that, when you got into the professional world, how did that, what were the challenges that you got into? Was it, uh, did you find a good place for that type of brain or was this, mm -hmm. was it difficult? It was difficult only because I made it difficult. And so me still going back to my grandmother's advice. Right. And then by the time I got into my um, professional career, she was she was gone, right? Um, for context, I'm the first person in my family to graduate college and I did the whole thing. She made it to my college 
graduation, but that's all she was in it for. And she was like, all right, I'm out. Peace. Right. <laughs> so when I started my pr professional career, she wasn't there anymore, but like her words still were. And so I'm chronically trying to not fit in, but be one thing. And it's like my brain doesn't work that way. <laughs> it never has. It never will be. But <clears throat> the one thing that my brain is good at is beating me up. Like, it beats me up bad. It's always me versus me, and I'm kicking my butt. Like, it is bad. <laughs> it's like, I need to call somebody about this. And I'm in and out of therapy. It's a whole thing. Mm. Me trying to fit into this, oh, I need to hyperfixate and be this one thing. I'm going to be the best marketer ever. It's mm -hmm. the one thing I'm going to do. And I, and no, <laughs> it's not working for me. No, it's, it's not doing it. And I shamed myself into not moving forward for a very long time, or rather mm. not pivoting, because I don't want to say moving forward. Because at like the time, it was like, kinda, I don't want to do this. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah it yeah. was just, it was something, when you look at me on paper, they're like, this doesn't go with this. This doesn't go with this. This doesn't go with this. So behavior analysis and marketing, mm. internet marketing, if you look at it and you don't really know what those two things are, especially right now in, in the digital space, really, that doesn't go together. What are you doing? You're just hopping from one thing to another. So when that you story, look at it sounds like when folks that are they don't have a neurodivergent type of mind, mm -hmm. very difficult to understand that story or to mm -hmm. weave it together of oh, you're just jumping around. But I yeah. I don't know. I think there's something deeper than that, right? Like I think there is a story there that's coming out. It sounds like and I've noticed this now as I'm on, I'm looking for new jobs too and on the market and looking at my career and saying the same thing. I was a musician. What? Yeah. Okay. And then I was this. I worked at a television studio. I was like that. Okay. And then I, now I'm in tech and now I do this. I'm like mm -hmm. there's no throughput, but I think what you're good at, what we're good at is that pattern matching of similar things. So we can go back to say, it's all about setting the vision. It's all about making pivots mm -hmm. based on information and data. And I do that here in this context. I've done it here in this context. And now I'm doing it in a different context. And what keeps it fresh and exciting is that I can shift to these other contexts because my brain works that way, right? Yes. And so when it boils down to the people who are, in my opinion, criticizing, it's not from a bad place. It's just from a, they also may have a different type of neurodivergence where they can't see anything. And then from another spot, just with my particular situation, first person to graduate from college, black female, yeah. come mm -hmm. from desperate poverty. <laughs> I, I was never homeless, but it was a few days. <laughs> um, we were on section eight food stamps the whole night. And me going to college, it was, you go to school, you get a good education, you have a job and you die. Like that, 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 that was it. You find one job and then you die in that job. Oh, um, yeah, I remember. And so <laughs> it's it was more so out of safety and kind of protection Yeah, uh -huh. than it was out of, you shouldn't do this. You're dumb. <laughs> so, yeah. But it was like how I internalized it with not just work, with everything. I have this thing in my head where I, I'm a quitter. But then I have to mm. sit down and be like, when have I ever quit anything? <laughs> so, but, but so like when it's time to pivot, that's not quitting. It's, mm -mm. am I is this working? Am I done with this? You had a good run. You're yeah. in your life. You're optimizing exactly. your career. And this is, yeah. And I think it, you bring up a good point of like how you self-narrate dialogue, right? It could be, yeah, could be those other things. And our brain's probably working off of more of the negative than the positive. Those tend to be the louder things in, in our head. But if you remain optimistic, you tell the story in a light, positive way. It's very, you know, compelling it's very interesting it's like a lot of people want what you have and what yeah. you know want the brain you have and it is balancing the self-deprecation talk with the ambition the positivity the all the other stuff and you can even scale that up if we go back to the project product managers and the people who build the features and send out the everything 
When you're explaining a non-success product, it's also how you explain it. We were talking about centralized data and stuff like that, mm. and Bob pulling down sus numbers. But to go back with the same analogy of Bob, I don't know if anyone's named Bob anymore. I'm sorry, Bob. <laughs> but, but if we go to Bob, it's like you, you can pull genuine, true numbers and say, hey, in a real optimistic way, optimistic tone, here's what we learned. Here's what we gained. Mm. However, in my professional opinion, we'd be better off doing X, Y, Z. And we can take these learnings from this campaign, which yeah. is not called a failure. It's not called whatever. It's, hey, this might not be what our audience is looking for. This didn't really help drive conversion, but we found out these other 10 cool things yeah. that we can use for our next product. And just I mean, you have like a hundred, I'm sure, right? It's holding our creative brains accountable for the ambition that we had set out and then not feeling discouraged mm -hmm. when it doesn't work out. Yeah. You have to use that as fuel for the next step. And I was talking to, again, I told you, I'm in and out of therapists. It's a whole hot mess up here. Um, I was talking to this one therapist who actually wasn't my therapist. It was someone else's therapist. And then they were like, and they were like, you have to stop being tied to the result of things that you don't have control over. And so if you have this product, this feature, this campaign, this whatever, the only thing you have control over Max it out. Do whatever you need to do to mm. do your best and to put your best foot forward. And if it doesn't work out, your identity cannot be tied to that result. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's great. Because what happens is you'll spiral out of control mm -hmm. and burn yourself out trying to be something that doesn't even exist. Like yes. these features, this button with the CTA on it doesn't really exist. This cup really exist do i identify with it is my identity tied to this cup absolutely not um and for those of you just listening i had a cup <laughs> but 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 your identity of who you are as a person should not be tied to the success or failure whatever that means of this particular feature campaign yeah. whatever it's just like stop it guys stop it yeah so i think as a society and as folks that are in therapy and talking about these challenges, it's, I think we're all becoming a little bit more aware. At least I know I am. Like I feel more aware of my brain going towards, like you said, the character or like this person tied to this failure or the pivotal moment or whatever. And, and I'm trying to change my perspective. It's harder to do, like I said, in the moment. And, and uh, retroactively looking at the behaviors and actions versus the character itself. So saying, yeah, it's not me as a person that is wrong or bad, but what are the things that I did to be successful or not? And then you're saying it even a step further, if those things that you did were well-intended, you know, with the best information you had, you can't necessarily tie that to a bad effort unless you like maliciously did some action. You got to own it. You got to own it. It's yeah. a lot of finger yeah. pointing when things don't work out. It's a lot of CYA, email chain, Slack messages. <laughs> it's like if you messed up, and I'm not even talking about features or campaigns right now. I'm talking about anything. If you messed yeah. up <laughs> because you went on vacation for the holiday and now you're back and you don't know how to do your job and none of your logins work. And you missed a message, subsequently missing a meeting and dropping the ball. Don't blame it on Todd and IT. <laughs> Just say, hey, y'all, look, I messed up. <laughs> no, like it is what it is. It's fine. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question because I don't want you to ask me the question. Please. With workers becoming more aware, right? Mm. And being like, hey, this worked, this didn't work. What do you think that translates to in corporate America since? That, that, that has been very interesting to me. I think there's a, a much ma more macro trend that I've seen that I think this will fuel. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, being more honest, being more full, and then feeling safe to fail and learn and grow, like that growth mm -hmm. mindset, I feel like that's all very positive for healthy teams where... I also see that intertwining with the macro trend, like the gig economy, also businesses maybe not moving too slow to adjust to that type of 
Mm-hmm. I see a lot of businesses not working in that way. So it's like, it's very much like a, it's a leadership opportunity to learn how mm-hmm. to do that and foster that environment with those folks and individuals. Um, but it's almost like a race. You got to do that quick as a business or else you're going to lose all these great people mm-hmm. going and doing other great things like and trying and failing in other ways that they feel a little bit more safe. And right now it's like the safety isn't really in tech as it used to be. The safety right now is it's more safe for us to start our own LLCs or do whatever and because we control it and we'll have a little bit more ownership over what we're responsible for and in uh, our careers and our decisions and then you can hire me right exactly. and so i'm going to see those trends all come into a point at some point to say maybe work just looks different and it's a whole bunch of gig workers at a business and that's it and we just as a gig economy we all i asked michelle for help she asked me for help and we work in over contracts and it's just i don't pay her benefits she doesn't pay mine you know we have our own we're all responsible for it maybe it's this like really interesting new world that we're in over time unless there's some change right unless there's some change in leadership or these enterprise businesses that makes that undeniably stable in a way that the employee has the empowerment, the freedom and stability. Because I think that's what's missing. And some businesses, they say they do this well. I haven't really seen it done incredibly well. Yeah, I haven't either. What do you think? What are your thoughts on this? See, I didn't want to answer that question. That's why I actually have the question. (laughs) (laughs) But, But the thing is, I fully agree with you. And especially on the last part there, there's reward awards, best place to work, this, that, the mm-hmm. third. And I've worked at some of those best place to work places. I don't know how they got that award, yeah, tell you the right. truth. They pay for problems. <laughs> so it wasn't bad, bad places to be at. And honestly, for the latter part of my real career, I'm like, air, air quoting for those listening. And now I'm coughing for those listening. For those best places to work. I know what I was going to say now. Okay. I really lucked out at the latter part of my real career. And I've had the pleasure of working for some really good teams. I wouldn't say companies. I would say teams. Mm. And even as far as consulting and doing all my night stuff, right? Mm. And even like the government contracts or whatever. Um, I've had really good experiences with some really good people. And now that's not to say that I had to not had to train people, right? Because mm. especially as like a consultant, you don't work here. What do you know? What are you talking about? And then I got to read people their rights a little bit. And then after that, we're cool. We're good. It is what it is. Uh, when you go into a place, when I go in, in, into a place, it's never, I know more than you. I'm right. You're wrong. If I come to your house and I'm like, I really hate that your couch is right there. <laughs> but then I don't know that there's a vent that comes over and the window and the lights and dog lights to sit there or whatever. Like, I don't mm. know all that. Oh, and I've seen young consultants come in, especially on the data side or the tech side, to start changing code, to start doing this, start doing that, because they know so much because they just got off the Google program uh, certification course or whatever that they paid $38 for. And they know so much. <laughs> and then they wind up losing six months of data and hmm. they don't know how to get it back. <laughs> so when for any consultants out there, any gig workers out there, go in humbly but show your brilliance. Mm. And the way that I do that, because I'm in the data space, is I just start asking questions. <laughs> and it's not condescending questions, like genuine questions of, hey, I saw this, this, that, the way that I would typically see this or do this or set this up would be this way. What's the history behind? So it's not like, why do you do this? What's mm. the reason? What's the history behind this feature what's the history behind xyz abc and a lot of companies just don't have really good documentation big companies small companies Mm. joe schmo down the block so there might not be any documentation but there's always some old guy in the back that's been there since 1962 he knows everything that has ever happened (laughs) so if you go talk to that old guy You might have to get him some coffee because he's typically cranky. But and if you have a conversation with him, he will probably know why that is the way it is. And if it's an outdated reason, go back to whatever team you were talking to and say, hey, I found out from 
Bob number two, because I can't think of an, another name. That we got Bob, we got Todd, we got <laughs> Bob, Todd, Bob number two. I found out from Bob number two that the reason why this feature is the way that it is, is because five years ago this happened, that happened. Mm. We no longer have those hurdles. Can are you open? Not can we? Are you open to the idea? of changing it to this to more modernize it to get a better conversion rate to mm. do xyz whatever so you're planting seeds you're going humbly because again this yeah. isn't your house <laughs> this right. is somebody else's house they hired you <laughs> to do a job and you want to make sure you do that job but you have to do it in a way where you don't compromise the integrity of the entire business by accident that's yeah great advice i think that i've done this a lot earlier on in my career absolutely just going in and uh, being critical of the, mm-hmm. the decisions they could have made differently xyz instead of uh, going first with that first with that deep understanding and that would drive for a better kind of context for your perspective or your expertise so yeah it's not on a way to just push your brilliance it's uh, do that with compassion humility with yeah the context yeah, yeah. I've never done that because I'm perfect. But <laughs> but if I did do I that, it. I did that only once. But Ideal we, thing we should do, right? Is exactly. That... <laughs> I like, you know, I've oh, never gone great. into a business and destroyed the whole system. But I heard about somebody who did at one time. No, but, but really, though, starting out as a gig worker, whether you are young by age or young by your internal dialogue that, that the monologue that we were talking about in my case it is a dialogue several people are in it <laughs> but um, they're all making decisions <laughs> but you don't want to let how you think other people are going to see you react to you feel about you judge you make decisions that doesn't have a positive impact and mm-hmm. so when i'm doing any sort of consulting or helping out somebody or whatever my whole thing it's, it's not a pay thing or anything else like that because I've worked for way lower than my benchmark because it was a nonprofit and I was really in, into the company. So it's, it's not about money. It's about do will I have the impact for the hours, mm. the 20 hours, 30 hours, whatever that I put into this company? Can I have mm. the impact? And if it's me and bandwidth and things like that, or a lot of times what happens is you get hired onto these companies and then you have this great, brilliant idea and you do the humble thing. You ask the questions and the thing, you plant the seeds and then it's time to, to execute and no one does anything. Mm. And so that goes into my factor. Again, I meet every quarter with my cabal and we, <laughs> we decide, should you be working for this company? So it's mm. not about, oh, should I buy this car? It is sometimes. But should I, should I work for this company? Should I do mm. this? Should I do that? How am I having a real impact or am I just wasting my time? Because you mm. could be paying me $200 an hour. Um, and if I'm not, if I'm just sitting there not doing anything, then I'm wasting your money. And mm. eventually you're going to be like, Shell's not doing anything. And I never want anybody to say, I rolled the clock or I didn't have any impact or I scammed them or whatever. Like that, mm. that's just not who I am as a person. Whereas this $20 an hour company I'm working for, we, we are changing things. We are, we are having all the impact in the world. Like I would rather stay there for 20, 30 hours than be at the $200 an hour company just not doing anything. Mm, yeah. That's so as a gig worker, you gotta, you gotta figure out what is your, it's <laughs> just, I'm going to say this. Some people are going to get it. Some people aren't going to get it. It's So as a game worker, you got to figure out how do you stand on business, right? So what is your motivating factor? And you got to figure that out for you before mm-hmm. you take a penny from anybody else. And and if it's about money for you, then it's about money for you. And that's okay. Ain't nothing wrong with money. I like money. He like money. Everybody like money. But my main thing is impact. Yeah, love it. Let's uh, let's wrap things up with some homework for our listeners. So usually, what we'll do is based on our conversation. What is one thing that they can do the week that they're listening to this mm-hmm. to actually put into practice? Thing that they can try or pivot on, what have you. Okay. Anything come to mind for you based on this conversation? Yeah, sure. So, if you are in corporate America 
and you haven't gotten familiar with your number and you don't know who's on your data team or anything else, get familiar with your numbers. And it's not just basic KPIs. It's, it's essentially what levers change those KPIs. So like what action will change that number on that spreadsheet, right? That will change so much for you down the line. Um, especially now it's review time and bonus time and everything else. So know what actions impact those numbers. For the gig workers, it's that last point I made. It's don't go in, in into businesses trying to flip over tables and change stuff. Be nice, be humble, be sweet. And then also figure out where your business morals are, right? Business morals, in my opinion, are more important than moral morals, right? Because if, an example. You'll, it, if you'll do anything for money, you will violate your outside of work morals. Mm. Um, and it can be just as far as being a part of jokes. Everybody had to watch those stupid uh, sexual harassment videos mm. <laughs> at work at one point in time, right? So it's like, if you are one of those guys or girl in those, in those videos and you're like, oh, <laughs> this is funny. It's like, if you wouldn't outside of work find that joke funny, don't laugh at that joke. <laughs> right? Because when you keep doing it at work, um, then you wind up doing it outside of work. Um, and then when, again, when you'll do anything for money, especially in the digital marketing space, and especially when you've got products, if you're on social media or whatever, where you can impact the next generation of human beings, doom scrolling is a good example, right? If you make the feature to doom scroll, you are a part of the downfall of a whole generation. And if you just did it for money, <laughs> you're gonna have to answer to that eventually. That's good, I like it. Um, I'll add to that, I think I love the data net analogy that you made earlier. If you haven't cast the data net, do that, right? Do that yes. more than just marketing and in, but in your career and, and what you're looking to accomplish for product, just. Make sure that you understand that, set that foundation, make sure the ship's pointed in the right direction so you can go catch some big ones. And yeah, yeah. And we'll go check out Michelle wherever you can. Michelle, what's the latest? Uh, where can folks find you? Just on, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I have been having crazy conversations on LinkedIn, mostly about conspiracy <laughs> theories that I cannot confirm yeah. or deny. But um, if you go on LinkedIn. Oh, that's another and, one we need to go into. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to have a whole another show about conspiracy <laughs> theories because yeah. I heard one about Taylor Swift. It was crazy. I went oh, down a rabbit hole great. last night. But it was about Taylor Swift and SEO. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, LinkedIn. <laughs> the answer is LinkedIn. Yeah, right. Michelle A. Bassett. Um, Purple unicorns in the tag. Yeah. If it, like, I said there was a few Michelle Bassett's out there. So, yeah. Just yep, it's it in so forward slash Michelle A. Bassett. Two L's, two T's, two of all the things that you need. There you go. Thanks so much, Michelle. I really appreciate your time and just getting into it. This has been such a fun conversation. I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy it. So, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It looks like we finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.